Well, I hope uh, you're enjoying our series in 1 Peter. And I also hope one of the themes you're going to pick up over the six weeks uh, is Peter's excitement about the resurrection. Peter was... Uh, you know, one of the earliest to see that empty tomb, to see the risen Christ. And you'll see smatterings of his witness to the resurrection throughout this epistle. Uh, And it's very appropriate, therefore, that we're working through this epistle in this Easter season. The specific theme this morning, though, is Christ as the cornerstone. And he is the cornerstone because he's risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. He is Lord. He is the cornerstone. Now, the Macquarie Dictionary offers three possible definitions for this word cornerstone. And I think the scriptures pick up all three understandings of the word. So let's look at them. The first one is a stone which lies at the corner of two walls and serves to unite them. Now, this theme isn't actually here in Peter, but it is in the Bible. If, and if you want to do a little extension work this week, I suggest you go to Ephesians 2.20, and there you'll find Jesus described as the cornerstone who unites Jew and Gentile and brings them together in one body, the body of Christ. Uh, and so that definition is fulfilled there. But our interest this morning is more in this second definition. Uh, The Macquarie Dictionary says that it's a stone built into a corner of the foundation of an important edifice as the actual or nominal starting point in building. And of course, this has definite application in 1 Peter 2. Peter wants us to know that Christ is the foundation, that Christ is the starting point. And we're going to be looking at that in a lot more detail this morning. Then the third definition is something or someone of prime or fundamental importance. So you might say someone's a a cornerstone of a particular club or group because they're uh, the foundation member or the one who holds it all together. Uh, And so we can make it a metaphor in that sort of sense. And I think Peter would say amen to this definition as well because he's pointing us to Jesus as the one who is prime and of fundamental importance of course, in all things. But overall, the main idea here is really it comes from the building industry. And that's clear there in our second definition, that the cornerstone is the stone built into a corner of the foundation and the starting point for a building. And, of course, we all know what happens if you don't have good foundations, if you don't start properly. You're going to have problems later on, aren't you? Look at what happens when you don't lay good foundations. Uh, I mean, that looks brilliant still. It's still standing, but what can happen? (laughs) I don't think I want to make a pastoral visit up those front steps. This is a very powerful metaphor for life, isn't it? You know, if you don't build your life on good foundations, guess what? (laughs) Problems. And, you know, Peter knows that. And that's why I think he uses this metaphor to great effect. 
And he's using it to point people to Jesus as the best foundation for a happy, fruitful life, for a life with real hope. Uh, That's his purpose. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the best foundation you can have. Now, the idea is not original to Peter. Many hundreds of years earlier, the prophets had used a similar idea to point people to God's Messiah. And Peter picks up these prophecies and, of course, applies them to Jesus. And so Peter quotes three passages from the Old Testament. Firstly, the prophet Isaiah. And uh, in verse 6, you'll see him quoting Isaiah 28.16, which says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. In the next verse, he quotes Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then the next verse, 8, he quotes Isaiah again, but back in chapter 8, verse 14, which says, A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Peter's actually using these verses to show us that Jesus divides people. There are those who believe and those who don't. And if you look at Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, you'll see that's so. There's those who believed in him and gave their whole lives, followed wholeheartedly. There are those who rejected him and wanted to crucify him. And I want to suggest to you that the figure of Jesus is just as divisive today. You might say to me, well, don't most people think Jesus is okay? You know, they might have problems with the church, but... You know, Jesus was a good teacher and a good man, you know. He had some good things to say. Well, I'd have to agree with you uh, if we're only talking about the meek and mild Jesus. If we're only talking about the Jesus that loves everybody the way they are and wants them to be happy, then yes, there's no division. Um, People can easily follow that Jesus. But if you introduce the Jesus of the New Testament into the conversation, what would happen? I think you'd soon get people's backs up. You see, this is the Jesus who strictly upheld the law of Moses. He actually expected people to keep the Ten Commandments. This is the Jesus who made a place for the poor and the outcast in the midst of a prosperous and complacent society. That got people upset. This is the Jesus who spoke to people not just as victims of sin who needed consolation, but as perpetrators who needed to repent if they were to get into the kingdom of God. And this is the Jesus who rose from the dead and said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me. And said, I'm the only way. No one comes to the Father but by me. It all centers on me. Now hold that Jesus up in our society and I think you would divide people very quickly. There would be those who would say, this is the truth. I'm going to lay my life down for this. And there would be those who would say, Jesus claims far too much for himself. And there's no way I'll submit to him. So you you see here how Jesus acts as the cornerstone. For some, he will be the foundation. He'll be worth everything to build my life on. Uh, He'll be chosen and precious, as verse 6 says. But for others, he is the stone the builders rejected. Verse 7, 
the stone that makes them stumble and the rock that makes them fall. Now, in its first century setting, this whole idea of the cornerstone had to do with the temple. In verse 6, the quote from Isaiah says, Behold, I lay a stone in Zion. Zion was the mountain on which the temple was built. So this stone is the cornerstone of the temple. The hope of Israel was that Yahweh would return to Zion and live in his temple. And the temple was the sign of God's presence with his people. So the temple being built in Zion meant it would be in exactly the right place so God could inhabit it, inhabit it and be with his people. The laying of a stone in Zion was a sign of the presence of God with his people and blessing his people. Now there's another important Old Testament idea here as well. In Hebrew, the word for stone and the word for sun are similar. The word for stone is Eben. See it there? The word for sun is Ben. You notice there's only one letter difference? So what's the link between stone and sun? Well, it's a very important passage in 2 Samuel 7. This is where King David offers to build a house, to build God a temple. God doesn't accept David's offer, but makes him a counteroffer. God will build for David a house. Not a physical building, but a house which is a family. A house which is a dynasty. And it's going to begin with his son Solomon. But more importantly, it will end with the Messiah. And so the Messiah will be the ultimate son of David. The Jews believed this Messiah would come and re-establish the temple and make it a fit place for God to dwell and then uh, God would reign and bless his people. You might recall the story of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem on the donkey. We looked at that just a few weeks ago on Palm Sunday, didn't we? And what did the crowd shout out about Jesus on that day? Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. And that was a way of them saying, you are our Messiah. However, Jesus was not the Messiah people were expecting. They were expecting a Messiah who would restore the temple and in that restore the nation to its former glory. But what did Jesus say? Destroy this temple. Whoa, that must have hit him in the face. But in three days I will raise it up. He was referring to the resurrection and the new temple, which was his risen body. The sign of God's presence with his people and of his rule and his reign is no longer a building, no longer a temple. It is now the risen Lord Jesus. And it is Jesus, this living stone. That's how Peter describes him. Because you see, he's raised, he's alive. He's a living stone who is now the sign of God's presence with his people. Uh, verse 4 talks, talks about uh, him, that we should come to him, the living stone. Uh, oh, sorry. Yep. Which way am I going? Sorry. Hit the wrong button. Oh, still. Oh, okay. I think I'll give up the pointer. 
You can see up there, verse 4, somewhere. Where, where, where we go? Just wait. There you go. God's presence is no longer in the temple, but in Jesus raised from the dead, and he's described as the living stone there in verse 4. And if you go to the next verse, verse 5, it talks about us being living stones as well. And the call for us to be built into a spiritual house, which is the body of Christ, which is the church, which is us in community with one another. And it's all about uh, being the people rather than a building. Then as living stones built on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, we have a whole new status in him. And so verse 9 goes into more detail about our wonderful status in Christ. We are a chosen race. Isn't it nice to be chosen? Isn't it nice to get that email or letter that says you got the job? (laughs) Or to run in a race and you came first? To be chosen in the team? Jesus says you're chosen. You're a chosen race. Or a royal priesthood. Being royal is grand. Being priesthood is a responsibility. (laughs) It's to represent God to the world. What a great privilege. Or a holy nation set apart. Set apart for God to belong to him. To be God's own people. Called out of darkness into his marvellous light. Very special to belong to Jesus, isn't it? I hope you feel special. Very special. To recognise him as the son of David, the Messiah. To build our lives on him as our cornerstone. And to be part of his church, living stones being built into a spiritual house. We've just had our first week of Alpha. And it's gone very well with our three groups meeting. And the topic each of them has looked at is, who is Jesus? And there's two significant quotes used from two very different people in this session. Uh, uh, One is Bono and the other is C.S. Lewis. So you've got a rock star and an Oxford scholar. Uh, But they all both agree about Jesus. So Bono has said this, and if you don't know, Bono's the lead singer of U2. Uh, And he said this, I don't think you're let off easily by saying he was a great thinker or philosopher because actually he went around saying he was the Messiah. That's why they crucified him. He was crucified because he said he was the son of God. So he either, in my view, was the son of God or he was nuts. (laughs) And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for over 2,000 years, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I don't believe it. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And then we have C.S. Lewis, a scholar at both Oxford and Cambridge, but probably better known for the Chronicles of Narnia. And he put it like this. A man who was merely a man and said he was the son of God and the other things Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be insane or else the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else insane or something worse. But let's not come up with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. 
He hasn't left that open to us. He didn't intend to. So, my friends, we come back to the challenge of 1 Peter. Peter claims Jesus is the Son of God risen from the dead. He's the Messiah prophesied by Isaiah. Most importantly, he is the cornerstone. This is the stone that causes some people to stumble. But for those who put their trust in him, they are chosen, he is chosen and precious and the source of real hope. My friends, we live in a society in which hope is increasingly in short supply. It is cool to be sceptical and atheism is on the ascendancy. There are many who stumble over the claims of Christ and reject him. On the other hand, there are those who accept him, make him the cornerstone of their lives and find real hope. My message is simply this morning, come to him, the living stone, put your faith and total trust in him.